The other day, I was having a discussion with someone about the uh, privileges, or maybe another way to say it is advantages, that the current generation has. So, for example, uh, when I was growing up, and maybe some of you will be able to relate to this, because maybe you were born in a similar time period, but when I was growing up, tape cassettes, do you remember? Tape cassettes had become the, the, the big thing. I mean, I get it, there were records, and I don't even know what there was before that, but there were records, and they were, my parents had eight tracks, and they thought that was the bomb.com, but we, we had cassette tapes, and and one of the things that we would do is we, as uh, young people, is we would sit around for hours uh, listening to uh, the radio or our boombox. Remember that phrase? Listening to our boombox, and, and we were just waiting for one of our favorite songs to come on so that we could quickly hit the record button on our tape cassette deck and capture that song. Do you remember this? Right? All right, some of you are with me. And then we did that because we would take those songs and spend some time and make some incredibly cool mixtapes. Huh? That's, if you don't know what that is, that's a collection of our favorite songs for particular situations. So you might have a workout mixtape, and you might have a love mixtape, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, all of these. And... Um, and, and, and I was even thinking back, we, they even they advanced in the tape cassette world. Because, you, you know, if you wanted to get through the next song, you had to hit fast forward, and then you had to pause. Okay, it's almost there, and hit fast forward. You kind of got good at knowing about 30 seconds of fast forward gets me to the next song. But they came up with this really cool feature. I had it on my boombox. It would look for a, a pause in the music. And so all you had to do was hit fast forward, and it would take you to the end of the song so you could start the next. You guys remember this, some of you? And you young people are like, oh my goodness, that's ridiculous. And then, and what was cool then is after tape cassette decks came CD players. And not only was the music more dynamic, but one of the cool things about CD players is you could just hit the skip button, right? And boom, you could go right to the song that you wanted to hear on the album, okay? You, you compare that with now about how people generally acquire music and listen to music, there is no comparison. I mean, you can... Right, young people? And even now that we are in this generation, we experience it. Any song you want, any time, you can create lists, all the lists that you want, in any way that you want. It takes seconds. Whatever song you want, it's there for you. You're streaming, you're buying. Crazy, crazy. So I think certainly uh, this generation has some privileges. Would you agree? At least in the music world. And, I, and this is... This is everywhere, honestly. So again, here's some examples. Uh, another example. If you wanted to learn something in my generation, okay, and you had a report that was due in school, guess what you did? You went to the library, okay? You had to go to the library, or, or if you were fortunate enough to either have this or to know somebody that had it, because not everybody did, you would go look at their... Encyclopedia Britannica. That's right. That's right. You remember those people used to come door to door and sell those things? And they were awesome. They were awesome because it was beautiful and color. And these things were expensive. So that's why I said most my family couldn't afford it. So we never had one. Uh, and they actually stopped selling those door to door in 96. They couldn't, it made no more sense. So no more door to door salesmen. 
But uh, yeah, that's what you would do. And compare that with now. What do you young people do? I mean, you internet, man. The whole world, you have to be careful, obviously, because there's a lot of junk out there, but the whole world is right there at your fingertips. In moments, you know things. Right? We had to work for it, man. We had to even remember things, you know? <laughs> you don't have to remember anything. Please tell me who the president is. <laughs> Happens to be Obama. Okay, it's Obama. You, know? you guys don't need to know. You just got it right there for you. We were even talking about this, and this is just fun because I'm going back with you. It's kind of fun to do this. My wife and I are talking about when we were kids, younger and growing up, we probably had, you know, 20 phone numbers memorized because you had to, because you hit dee, 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 right? And you memorize, you guys don't memorize any of your numbers. And we realize, we realize that if you lose your phone, you can't call your friends, not because you don't have a phone, because you don't know their numbers. That's crazy, Okay. And uh, anyway, I could, go, I could go on and on. I could talk about, I even thought about QVC. That was the big, awesome thing when we were growing up, right? But as QVC, quality, value, and convenience, that's what it stands for, as they would deliver uh, stuff to you over the TV and you could order it and have it delivered right to your house, you had to wait. You had to wait for it to come on, right? Whatever it was. And so you're just, I remember QVC would play all day in our house. Because when the item came on, there was a window, and you had to rush to the phone and get out your credit card and purchase that thing that you just had to have. And now we have Amazon. <laughs> you don't have to wait. You can get whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Crazy. A lot of advantages. And so I'm sure you could think of more, but um, and I'm sure, by the way, that every generation has the same discussion. Okay? So I can just imagine, uh, you know, the generation who, you know, had automobiles saying, you know, these kids don't know how good they have it because we used to have horses and carriages, you know? And I don't know why they sound like that, but they do in my mind. They do. Uh, and, then, you know, even advancements in medicine, everything. So with each generation, they seem to have, there's a privilege, right? Um, well, I, generally speaking, I, I don't, I think that folks don't always realize how privileged they are. How privileged are. In fact, sometimes it's on us, the generation that from before, to make sure they know uh, how, how well off they are. It's important because if, if people don't know that, then they can tend to be more uh, complainy or even get gloomy, like, oh, it's so terrible. And, and the generation before is thinking, you don't even know. You don't know how good you have it, right? You know what I'm saying? Well, beloved, on that note, I think Peter here wanted to make sure that his uh, troubled Christian readers, his, and, they, and they were troubled, and they were suffering, and they were experiencing some difficult times, he wanted them to know, believe it or not, just how privileged they were. Privileged to be living in the church age. To be living subsequent to the sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, as I said before, Peter's readers were suffering for their faith in Christ, okay? And that could have, that could have led them to become discouraged and think that they were actually disadvantaged people. But from a biblical perspective, beloved, they were indeed 
privileged people. So by referring here, as Peter does, to the prophets of old, we're going to look at this in a second, and the angels in heaven, Peter highlights the great privilege of his Christian readers. And beloved, what Peter says would certainly apply to us as well as followers of the crucified and resurrected Christ. We, my friends, as Christians living in this age, in the church age, are indeed privileged people. And so I want to talk to you about that this morning as we look at the text. So if you're there already, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, I'll read it and then we'll begin to work, work through it. Apostle Peter writes this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. All right, this is going to be fun. In verse 10, okay, it starts off with these words, concerning this salvation. So again, there's context here. So it's, it's a letter, and we covered verse 9 last week, but this is the salvation that Peter just mentioned at the end of verse 9. So he's just continuing, he's picking up now from 10 and speaking about the salvation that he just talked about in verse 9. And it is, as most of us know, a salvation that not only saves us forever from the penalty of our sin, and even now from the enslaving power of sin. That's the kind of salvation that we have. But it also secures and saves us for a future inheritance. So we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, according to verses 4 and 5 of 1 Peter. And it is a salvation, beloved, that has been purchased for us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A salvation that has been accomplished through the death and resurrection of the Messiah that God had in ages past foretold through his prophets that he would send into the world. Now look back at the text. Peter says this. Concerning this salvation, we just spoke of, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. We'll stop right there. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. You'll notice here in verse 1, or 10, that is, Peter uses the word grace here to refer to the Christian's great salvation. Okay? almost as a synonym. He uses it in reference to this great salvation. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about, he didn't say the salvation, but he said the grace, the grace that was to be yours. And that, beloved, makes complete 
sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, because biblical grace can be understood as unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. And that, my friends, is exactly what our salvation in Jesus Christ is. Is it not? Undeserved, unmerited, unearned. You can't do anything to achieve this salvation. You can't do anything to make yourselves right with God. In fact, it's undeserved because what we deserve as lawbreakers, as rebels, is punishment, is condemnation, is God's just wrath. And yet, in Christ, all of that is removed and we are reconciled back to God. Enemies now being made his friends. It is grace from beginning to end. And we know, listen, that God put his amazing grace on display for all the world to see when, according to his perfect plan and timetable, God the Father, almost 2,000 years ago, sent his divine son, the Messiah, into the world as a child and to the cross as a man in order to secure and purchase salvation for sinful mankind. How? Through the sacrificial, substitutionary, sin-bearing, and sin-crushing death and resurrection of the God-man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord. Grace. Now notice in verse 10 that Peter says the prophets prophesied, they foretold, about the grace that was to be, what's the word? You see it there in your Bibles? Yours. They prophesied about the grace that was to be Yours. Who's the yours? New Testament Christians. New Testament Christians. That is, the Old Testament prophets of God, long before Christ came into the world, prophetically spoke of the great grace or undeserved favor of God that has now been manifested to the world and had been fully experienced by Peter's Christian readers as born-again New Covenant believers. Look back now again at the text, verse 10, read it again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Okay, So look, we're getting to it. I'm building up here. We're building up to the fact that privilege is what this passage is really all about. And, I'm, and so just stay with me as we move through the text. But before we get to what I believe Peter's main point is here, now that we've covered a couple of things in verse 10. 
I want to draw your attention to a few phrases in the text that just may be, um, I just want to point them out and explain them to you. And then there's also a translation issue we need to look at. So first, let me talk about the first phrase. You see that phrase, Spirit of Christ? Spirit of Christ there in the text, do you see it? It's in verse 11. Okay? This phrase is best understood to be referring to the Holy Spirit. To the Holy Spirit, as opposed to thinking that it refers to Christ's personal spirit. Okay? You might read that and it sounds like maybe this is Jesus' spirit or Christ's spirit. But uh, that is not the case. It's best to understand it as Holy Spirit. Uh, it's suggested that it may have been called, the Holy Spirit may have been called the Spirit of Christ. And here's two possible reasons. Because the Holy Spirit was sent from Jesus. Okay? All right, so you can see that in John 14. He promises to send the Helper. He prompt, that helper, as you read the text there in John 14, is identified as the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then you see in Acts 1.8, he promises as well, the Spirit's going to come. And then on Pentecost, he did come. Okay? Or it could be he's called the Spirit of Christ because he testifies of Christ. He bears witness to Christ, just as he did to these prophets who then spoke of the Christ, all right? So one writer says this, for Peter and his readers, the Spirit of Christ was a natural Christian identification of the Holy Spirit whom they had experienced as followers of the Messiah. So it's just a way for them to refer to the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus. Uh, By the way, this phrase, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of the Son of God, they're all saying the same thing. It's used that way in other places in the Scriptures, and one of those places is Acts 16.7. Now, I'm just doing this so that as you look at the text, you understand it rightly, and when you come across that phrase in your reading of the Word of God, you'll also understand it correctly there. But um, in Acts 16.6 and 7, it's very clear, or it should be, that the Spirit of Jesus or Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. So, for instance, I'll read this to you in verse 6. It says, and they they being Paul and his ministry partners, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they're just recording, this is the church and the birth of the church and what's happening, the growth of the church. I'm just telling you it's historical. But they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now look at verse 7. And when they had come to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. You don't have two different entities here. Uh, this Again, it's the Holy Spirit that was forbidding them, and then they just refer to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. And I think it is because Jesus, uh, at least in part, was the sender of the Spirit. All right? You got that phrase? So again, so there's some instruction, some learning here. Uh, now I want to consider the phrase, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories in verse 11 the sufferings of Christ, and the subsequent glories. Both sufferings, that word, and glories, these things that were were indicated to the prophets through the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, they're both in the plural. That means they're not singular. It's referring to multiple sufferings, many sufferings, and many glories. So one writer says, the content of the prophecies 
embraced both the sufferings, S, and the glories of Christ. And they point out both words are plural. So the gospel, we know, lists various aspects of the predicted sufferings of Christ, right? Hatred by his people, betrayal by his friend, being forsaken by his flock, his scourging and crucifixion, etc. We could add to that, certainly. His glories then, and you could even add to this, include, at minimum, his resurrection, his glorious return, and his reign, his future reign over this world and over his people. All right? So all these things were contained within the prophecies. But I think, I think, it's, I think Peter uh, points that out for, again, encouragement to his Christian readers. Okay? Because think about it. These are followers of Christ, and they are suffering, right? Well, they're experiencing sufferings. But they too, like their Savior, will experience after these sufferings, glories. Glories. They too will experience the glory of resurrection. They too will experience the glory of the kingdom that is to come and the ruling and reigning with Christ in this great kingdom. And so I think it's just a way of, of really just another way for Peter to encourage his folks. So we covered the phrases spirit of Christ and the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So now let's consider the translation issue. And this is what I want to show you here. The, the prophets or Old Testament prophets that had in ages past spoken of the great salvation that was to come through the Christ or promised Messiah were, according to the English Standard Version translation that we use, they were, if you look at the text, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted, the Holy Spirit, the sufferings of Christ in the subsequent glory. Okay? Now listen, beloved. It is debated among Bible translators how to exactly translate the Greek language that is there in the first part of verse 11. It is translated in the ESV as inquiring what person or time. Okay? If you have an ESV, you see that. But an alternate and also acceptable or legitimate translation, and the one that I think makes more sense based on the context, is found in the NIV. Also, it's found in a various way, a little bit slightly different, but same idea in the New King James and the Holman Christian Bible. Okay, But let me read the NIV to you. This is how the NIV reads. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, here we go, verse 11, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Okay, It's, it's a slight difference. But it is a difference. Uh, so in other words, what the prophets longed to know and searched intently to find out was the time and or season of Messiah's coming. 
okay? The time and or season of the Messiah's coming. So if the translation is correct, and I believe it is, then it is primarily the when of the Messiah's appearing and not necessarily the who or the specific person that would be the Messiah that the prophets searched intently and with the greatest care to know. All right? You see the, the, the slight difference there? So one translation believes that two things, they're searching to know specifically the person who the Messiah would be and the time of his coming. The other translation, and both are legitimate translations, the focus is not on the person, but more about when, the timing or the circumstances surrounding his coming. Okay? Does that make sense? So I believe that's right. I believe the NIV has it right. It's the timing and the circumstances of the fulfillment of their prophecies that the prophets were longing and searching carefully to figure out. Now, one writer adds this. I'm building, okay? We're getting there. One writer says this. The great desire of the prophets was that the prophecies would be fulfilled in their days, that they would see what they promised coming to pass. Okay? So here they are. They're foretelling these things that the Holy Spirit is giving to them, okay, concerning the Christ and his sufferings and his subsequent glories, and they are excited and are desiring, above all else, that these things would come about in their generation. You with me? And why would they want that? Because these things are glorious. These things are unbelievable. These, these are the things that God has promised. This is their great hope, and they desire above all else for it to come about. And so they're looking, when will this be? When will this be? And we, we see this even in Jesus' words when he was here on earth. He said this in Matthew 13, 17. For truly I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay? So then, what do I believe is Peter's main point in 10 and 11? What do I think he's trying to get across here in this section? I think it's this. It is the fact that while the prophets spoke of the grace that was to come, they did not know when those prophecies would be fulfilled, but they longed to know and see the days when they would be fulfilled, searching and inquiring carefully about the time and circumstances of that fulfillment. But in fact, it is Peter's readers, and by extension, us as well, who were and are actually living in the days of fulfillment. It's us. It's us. So let me put it this way, beloved. Peter's Christian readers and all the Christians who have lived after them live in the wonderful reality of the coming of Christ. Okay? and his saving and sin-conquering death and triumphant resurrection and have become 
the blessed recipients of these glorious things foretold by the prophets, things they could only long for, for the fulfillment came in another generation, another time. So what the Old Testament prophets of God foretold and hoped and longed for, it has occurred, and we, the church, the body of Christ, now live and bask in the glory and wonder and power of it all of the cross and of his resurrection. We are indeed privileged people, beloved. We are privileged people. You ever heard someone say, you know, I wish I was born in a different uh, age or time? Beloved, to be born into the church age, you are a privileged individual. Privileged. And I just don't know if we even see it that way. Because it's so hard for us to look back 2,000 years ago when these prophets could only predict the glories of what we have experienced in Christ and in salvation. Listen, I was just thinking this through. The prophets, think about it. Just think about what it means for us to be living in the church age. The prophets spoke of the Messiah, and they longed for him. But you and I speak directly to him. You see that? They hoped and longed for his coming one day and searched intently to know when. When, Lord? When, God, will you send him? Yet we now rejoice in and are empowered by his historical coming. They desired and sought the prophets to have a relationship with this one, the promised one. We now have a personal and powerful relationship with the almighty Son of God. Beloved, privileged, privileged. One writer says this, Peter's main point throughout is that believers in Jesus Christ are incredibly blessed to live in the time when the predictions of the prophets have come to pass. I don't know if you see yourself that way, beloved. But you should. You should. It's easy for us to Complain, be disheartened, be discouraged. And certainly that would have been the case for Peter's readers. And so these kind of truths are so helpful in strengthening us and encouraging us and and giving us the right perspective that we need as we make our way through this life that can be difficult, very difficult. I am privileged to be living in the time that I live. Now, you know, I look at the politics and I go, oh my goodness, I don't feel privileged in that way. But that is a passing away. I am privileged to be on this side of the cross and to know, to know the Messiah and to know his sacrifice for me. 
and all the benefits of that and to live in it. That is privilege. Something the prophets looked to in faith but had not experienced. Now, this is so cool because it continues that thought, but he comes from it at a different angle. Not the prophets, but the angels. So you might miss this, but let's look back. I'll show you. So look back at verse 12. And by the way, he continues this thought. As I said, that what, what the prophets foretold was was for, ultimately we know now, for Peter's readers and for all the Christians living in the church age since. He says this in verse 12, it was revealed to them, who? The prophets. So God revealed it to them. They were searching, they were inquiring, when? And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves in their prophecies, but who? You, New Testament Christians, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Okay? So men and women were and are empowered by the Spirit to proclaim the gospel. And the, and the Holy Spirit, he mentions he's sent from heaven, no doubt a reference to the Holy Spirit being sent to the church, to the people of God and on the day of Pentecost, and on that day the church was born. The church was born. So that's, that same spirit who predicted the Messiah now empowers the people of the Messiah to proclaim that very Messiah to the world and his coming and his salvation through the cross and his resurrection. Beautiful, beautiful. But this is what one writer says. <clears throat> Old Testament prophets long to see, I've already said some of this, and experienced the fulfillment of what they prophesied. But it was revealed to them that their ministry of prophecy and foretelling would not be realized in their day. Their ministry was not ultimately directed to themselves or their own generation, but to petering re- readers of Peter and all those who live on the other side of the death and resurrection of Christ. That's us. That's us. In every Christian sense for 2,000 years. In other words, the Old Testament fro- prophecies do not only apply to Peter's readers, they were intended for them. Okay? I mean, they're really special people to be living. Not that they're special, but they have their privileged advantage to be living in the age that they are living. And so are we, living on this side of the cross. Okay? And he, he uses the word serving here, right? It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. That's, uh, that's an interesting word. One writer points out that serving likens their work to uh, spreading the table, okay? That's what the, basically the word intends, spreading the table so that others might afterward feed on the food laid on it. They prepared the table for you. You're eating from that table. You should, you should feel blessed because you are. You know? You are. But now to the angels. Look back again. Chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to read it again. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, comma, things into which angels long, okay, that word means have a strong desire, to look 
That word is in the present tense, which means they're still longing to look into these things. They're looking, they are looking, they have been looking, they are looking, they continue to long to look into these things. Okay? Now, I like the way the NIV translates it because it helps you, I think, see kind of what the emphasis is. Watch. Verse 12, NIV, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they have now been told, have now been told you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, period. Even angels, even angels long to look in to these things, all right? So on the front side, we have the prophets, right? They're predicting these things and they're longing and desiring to know when will these things come to pass? When will be their fulfillment, right? And he says, the fulfillment was received by you. We know that they weren't serving themselves. They were serving you. Now he says, but listen, concerning these things, even the angels long to look into these things. So what's he getting at, okay? The word look there in the original language, it means to peek or peer into a situation from the vantage point of an outsider, of an outsider. To look, to peek, or to peer into a situation from the advantage point of an outsider, okay? So you imagine someone, you know, peeking into your house, but they're on the outside of your house. They see what's going on in the inside. I know that sounds creepy, but just try, try to avoid the creepiness of it. It's your family member, I guess. I don't know. That could even be weird. But they're looking inside of your house, so they're not experiencing what's going on, but only looking into and seeing what is going on, okay, from the advantage of an outsider. Are you with me? All right? So the one commentator points this out. Peter seems to imply that angels stand outside of the redemptive realm and cannot understand it in terms of their own experience, okay? That's true, beloved. Now, listen, outside of the redemptive realm, Christ didn't die for angels, okay? He did not. There are fallen angels, there are, there are heavenly angels, holy angels, but he did not die to redeem angels. Nor did he die to give angels an internal inheritance. They know not by experience what you and I as Christians have experienced through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his triumphant resurrection. Listen, this is a passage, Hebrews 1.14. When you think of angels... What do you generally, hopefully you think biblically, because there's a lot of junk out there about what angels are and what they aren't, okay? But if you're thinking biblically, power, right? Strength, wow factor, okay? Angels, wow, they, they live in the throne room of God or they dwell there, they're with God. I mean, just wow, angels, right? But angels are longing to look into these things, because you know, as we're told, and listen to this, in Hebrews 1.14, the writer there points out that, he says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Who are those who will inherit salvation? Us, believers in Jesus Christ. 
Angels are ministering spirits serving those who inherit such a salvation. We think think much of angels. Angels think much of us. One writer says this, Though the world may think such Christians insignificant and worthy of pity, he's talking about Peter's readers and their suffering, though the world may think such Christians insignificant and worthy of pity or scorn, angels who see ultimate reality from God's perspective find them to be objects of intense interest. For they know that these struggling believers are actually the recipients of God's greatest blessings and honored participants in a great drama at the focal point of universal history. We too may rightly think of our Christian lives as no less privileged. Do you think that way, beloved? Angels angels look into these things and They can't taste it. They can't taste of that salvation. They look, they see, they are amazed at what God has done in Christ and in His church. They are amazed and they stand back in awe of such things. The prophets foretold of it and were inspired by it and longed to see its fulfillment. The angels are looking into it and we, the church age, have been the recipients of these things. We have experienced them. We live on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ. We, as one writer says, enjoy the great privilege of living in the days when the history of salvation is being fulfilled. And I talk about this, we've talked about this before, we are to live cross-centered lives, right? We are to, we are to, remind ourselves of all the glorious truths that are contained in that great sacrifice that Christ wrought on behalf of his people, right? We are to proclaim those things to us, think on those things, meditate on those things, preach those things. Beloved, we know those things in a way that no other generation before those things occurred knew them. They predicted them, they talked about them, they longed for their fulfillment, But he came and he explained to us the glories of those things. And he gave us his prophets and his apostles and the spirit of God so that we might know the glorious truths of these things. And then we experience them by being born again through the power of the Holy Spirit that he sent that gave birth to the church. And that is what we are. Amazing. Beloved, you feeling down? Or next time you're feeling down, and bluesy. You know, normally when I say, oh, they're privileged, right? You, sometimes you think of someone like, you know, born with a spoon in their mouth. People may not even know what that means. So like, what does that mean? Like, you know, he inherited his wealth or something like that. You know, kind of like Trump. <clears throat> Privilege, something along those lines, maybe. But... Uh, that, that privilege is so kind of a passing away. It's just so temporary. Beloved, you want to talk about real privilege? It is to live in the age of grace and to be part of the body of Christ 
to be the church. That, my friends, is privilege like no other. And if you're here and, and you're with us and you're visiting today and you don't even know what I'm talking about, you're a little confused maybe by it all, and, but you're interested and you'd like to know about this great privilege, you'd like to know what it means to have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we desire above all else to talk to you. We would love to just have a conversation with you after the service or if you're going to be at the memorial picnic, at the picnic as well, please talk to one of us. The elders will be up here after the service. We would love to discuss with you how you as well can be privileged by becoming part of the body of Christ, being born into the church through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in the one who gave himself to make you right with God. We'd love to have that discussion with you. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great salvation predicted by the prophets, things that angels long to to peer into and to understand, Father, and yet we, we know it. We know it not only intellectually, we've experienced it by your grace, your sweet grace, undeserved, unmerited favor. Father, thank you. Help us to see ourselves rightly. We are privileged people. We are blessed people. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of where we find ourselves in this world, we, by nature of where we've been born in time, are blessed, privileged people living on this side of the cross and the fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets predicted would be. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for being faithful and keeping your promises and your word. And Father, now we await not his coming that he might redeem his people by dying for them on a cross by his sufferings, but we await the fulfillment of all his glories. His coming again to take his people so that they might be where he is. Father, that's what we're waiting for. And we long for that fulfillment. Lord, help us as we make our way through this life to keep our eyes ever fixed on our living hope and to rejoice in how blessed we truly are as the people of God, as the church, as the body of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.